Good morning, everyone. If you're a guest here, it's great to have you with us. Um, we've been going through uh, the Gospel of John, and uh, we've been looking at different things at the Gospel of John. And today, we're in chapter 6, and we'll be looking at the Passover. So if you've got a Bible with you, uh, please turn to chapter 6 of the Gospel of John. We'll be reading the first 15 verses, and I'll be explaining what that is in a few minutes. So it's Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 1 to 15. If you haven't got a Bible with you, then the words will be projected on the screen. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, what are we to buy bread? Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now, there was much, now, there was much grass in that place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, to make him king Jesus withdrew again to the mountains by himself. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the honor that you've given us, the access that you've given us to your word. We thank you that by your spirit you reveal the truth of who you are to us. We thank you that you've entrusted us with your word. We pray that as we open up the word, Lord, that you just show us the depth of your word, that you give us a new and fresh understanding of who you are, of your character, and of your love and grace and mercy for us. We praise you. I pray that you would speak to us individually and corporately, Lord, as your body. We pray this in your name. Amen. Brilliant. So this is the second time that something's happening around the Passover in the Gospel of John. It's very uh, detailed. He looks at different things to give his audience a big picture of what's happening. And the second time that something's happening around the Passover. The first time, it wasn't um, at the time where Jesus was feeding people. It was, at, in fact, at the time where he went into the temple and he was kicking the traders out. He said, what are you doing here? This isn't a place for trade. This is the temple. This is where the presence of God is. So he was kicking them out, and this is the second time. The next time is in the time of, of his crucifixion, when Jesus died. But we often tend to read this passage with the feeding of the 5,000 in mind. And that's a great thing, because it's mentioned in there, and it's a really important event, not a story that's happened. It's an event that took place. It's an event that's mentioned in the other Gospels as well, that Jesus feeds the 5,000. And just to put that into perspective, of how that's carrying on, 
Through Middlesbrough Food Bank last year, we fed around just over 5,000 people in Middlesbrough. And every time I come across this and talk to our volunteers in different churches, they usually try to connect that to feeding of the 5,000. Now, I'm going to uh, say this, that we don't necessarily have to make everything plug into a particular event in the Bible, but God does feed the poor. God does do that, and it still carries on. And it's just interesting that 5,000 people in Middlesbrough alone were fed just during that last year. Then there's 5,000 men only, and there are lots of other women and children in the area as well. Jesus says, make them sit down. And he asks Philip, he said, Phil, I have your son. Are you going to feed them? And Phil says, "Mm, you need a few thousand pounds, really, to go and buy some bread so that they can each have just a tiny bit. Jesus knew what he had to do. He goes to Andrew. Andrew is there. He hears the conversation, and he says, there's a little boy, a little lad here. He's got some food. It's not enough, nowhere near enough. But, hey, here he is. I'm just going to introduce you to each other, and I'm going to go off. Have you ever been in that situation, in a similar situation, where you're faced with 5,000 giants in your life, and you've only got so little, and you don't really know what to do? Have you been in a situation where you don't really know where to start? You're like Philip, thinking, scratching your head, thinking, what am I to do? There's no way I can do this. There's no way I can overcome this. But perhaps we need to be like Andrew. Perhaps we just have to bring what we have before God and say, look, this is complicated. I don't know what to do. I don't even know where to start. But you do, because you're God, and I trust you. Now, that situation may be, in fact, with feeding. Because It is a big issue in the society today, and particularly in the area here. But it may be to do with marriages. It may be to do with relationships. It may be to do with raising kids. It may be to do with finances, with jobs, with your studies at university and colleges. Whatever the situation is, be like Andrew. Bring it before God and say, I don't know where to start, but here it is. Because he is the hope of the world. And if we're going to proclaim to the world that Jesus is the hope, then we need to start from ourselves by believing that He is the ultimate hope, that He is the ultimate answer to everything in life. Now imagine 5,000 hungry men and Jesus feeds them all. And not only that, there's usually left over. My son usually says, there's more than enough. Now I don't know whether yeah, he's actually picked that up from the Bible or it's just because he physically sees that there's usually more than enough for all of us at home. But he usually says, ah, there's more than enough here. And, uh, but I realized that he's picked it up from the title of a book that we have on the bookshelf. And he's looked at it, and he's tried to make the connection, and he knows there's more than enough. Now, I don't know in a few years' time whether there'll be more than enough, or even, in fact, this afternoon when I get home, if they get home before me. But there is more than enough. There is more than enough. There is more than enough grace that God has given us already. There is more than enough of his love that he's poured out on us. There is more than enough that he's done for us. He's given his son for us. There is more than enough. Don't ever think that there isn't enough. God's not like Gavin, thank goodness. Is that I can't pick up two kids at the same time and holding a mic and his Bible. I mean, well, how couldn't he do that? I mean, God isn't limited like us. He is able to deal with all of us as his children, to carry us all at the same time. He's able to continue sustaining the world while he's speaking into our lives. He doesn't have to stop talking to one of us because he wants to speak to someone else. He's God. He's the creator of heaven and earth. So there is always more than enough. It's not limited. 
And here, John's trying to tell us that this Jesus is the Messiah. He's telling us that this is the promised one. This is the promised prophet that is coming to take away the sin of the world. This is the one who's, who's going to come. In fact, he's here amongst us. And this is the one in whom there is no limit, in whose power there's no limit. But the people around him kind of know this. The people around are thinking, this is the Messiah. This is the prophet. They call him. And they say, this is the prophet who was about to come. But their understanding is a bit different because Jesus didn't stay around with them and said, yeah, you're right. Do you want to go and tell others? Or in fact, no, don't tell anyone because you know what Jesus was like? He would approve these sort of things or sometimes he would say, no, keep it quiet. But here, Jesus knows their hearts. Jesus knows that these people want to make him king. Why? Because the kingdom that they have in mind is not the sort of kingdom that the Bible is talking about. The kingdom that they have in mind is, is not the sort of kingdom that God has taught them throughout generations. And Jesus knows that. And it says that because Jesus knew that they want to make him king, and in fact force him to become king, he went away from them. He just passed through. And he said, I don't want this. What would you do? What would, have, what would I have done? I would have said, yeah, make me king. I'm worthy of it. Yeah, I'll sort it all out for you. I'll be a good king. Jesus said, no, this isn't the sort of kingdom that God has sent me on. It's not my mission. It's far greater than this. The whole of this chapter is dominated by the Passover, whether it's the feeding of the 5,000 or the events that will carry on. So this morning, we're not going to look at the feeding of the 5,000, but in fact, we're going to look at the Passover, the event. And we're going to look at it a bit, how it all started and why it still continues and what it means to us as the church. What does it mean to you and I as those who believe in Jesus? John talks about the sign, but feeding of the 5,000 is not the only sign in this chapter. Let's go back to Exodus 12 when it all started. It's the event that takes place. It's a wonderful, majestic event. It talks about God's mighty hand and how he delivers his people. I wasn't there at the time, but Bill tells me that this is all true. So this is Exodus 12. Israel is in captivity for 430 years. These people have been slaves for 430 years. I'll let you do the math and work out how many generations that is. There is a culture that's formed around these people. Egyptians who were good hosts of Israelites at the time of famine. Egyptians who said, yes, you're welcome. Please do come in because we've been blessed. The whole nation has been blessed by you, by one person who was one of your descendants. Come in and live amongst us. You're our friends. This is the land that we're going to give you. You do whatever you please. As time went by, Egyptians forgot that. And as time went by, they got scared, thinking... There was a bit of a xenophobia in there, thinking, oh, these people, they're growing stronger than us. They've come to our home country, they've come into our lands, and now they're taking over because their numbers are far greater. It was because God was with them. So they got scared, and there's another culture that forms around her. A culture of slavery, a culture of looking down at them, looking down at them thinking, we're going to despise you until there's not many of you left, and you're going to be working for us. Because you came to our land. You're not able to hold positions of power. You're going to work for us. That is the sort of culture that these slaves grew up in. Imagine children being brought up in that culture. Imagine. Put yourself in the place of an Israelite. A household growing up in slavery thinking, 
our children are going to be free. And their children are going to think the same about their children. And for generation after generation, that's happening. And then God hears their cry. That talks about God's mercy and grace. God hears them. They call out to God and say, God, deliver us. God, will you do something about this? We can't carry on anymore. God, will you do something about it? And God hears them. In his mercy, God hears them and he delivers them. He doesn't deliver them like the sort of movies we see when slaves are working and suddenly the master isn't around and they run for it. Or they try to copy the keys, open the lock and get away at night. God doesn't do it that way. God wants to give them dignity, the dignity that they haven't had for 430 years. In his mighty power, God delivers them. He opens up the way for them. But on the last night, something great happens. Something that was tragic for the Egyptians, but something that meant deliverance for the Israelites. It was a sign of God's mercy. Just like Jesus fed the 5,000, I just love this bit where Jesus says, make them sit down. What that meant was, these are my guests. Let them sit down. Here's a table with chairs around it. Let them sit down. I'll take care of it. I'm the host. God was the host of the Israelites. He was the host on that evening. The slaves that nobody wanted to be around with, the slaves that were despised, were guests of honor at God's table. Have you ever felt that he's invited you to his face? Have you ever felt that you're actually a guest that's been invited to the table of God? That God himself is your host? And that's, I think, part of the reason that when there is a conference in places like Ghana and Turkey, if you're going there, you kind of just expect it to be fed. Or the host knows that he or she has got to feed the whole delegates, all of them, regardless of their numbers. Now, I know that it may be a bit different in here. What you would get is a leaflet or an email beforehand with a list of places to eat near the place. Whereas in places, in, particularly in North Africa, in the Middle East, the host would expect to feed everyone. It, in fact, it'd be a bit of an offense if somebody just walks by and goes to the shops to eat. It's about honoring the host and it's about doing it together as a family. God says to the Israelites who were slaves, get a lamb. Now, for two slaves, eating a lamb is a big thing. I mean, come on, they're slaves. They don't have much. A Jewish proverb says that when a poor man eats chicken, one of them is sick. It means that a poor man doesn't have the ability to eat chicken because he doesn't have the money to buy it. But if he's eating it, it either means that he's really ill and he's got to eat the chicken to get well and work again, or the chicken was ill and he wasn't going to waste it, so he started killing it and eating it. So to slaves, killing a lamb was a big thing. They didn't have much money, they didn't have much resources, but God says, get a lamb, kill it, and eat it. Get a lamb, not any lamb. It's got to be without blemish, it's got to be perfect, it's got to be good in every way. It's not one of those sick ones. You can't just pick one that's really, really old or it's about to die or it's got some sort of disease or sickness. You've got to pick the best one. Pick it up, slain it, and put the blood over the doorpost because that way we know that you belong to me. This is a sign that you belong to me. Now, you've probably heard the phrase, Jesus, the Lamb of God. That's what the Bible talks about. Jesus is the perfect Lamb of God. He didn't have to be slain every single year at the Passover. He had no sin. 
He was perfect in every way. Now, again, with the lamb, the Israelites were a society that were really conscious of lamb. It meant a lot to them. They would use it in, pro in their proverbs. Um, they would use it in different sayings, in allegories. But also lamb meant a lot to them. I remember when Justin first came to Jubilee, just a few weeks after that, he couldn't, at the time, um, because he was only here in this country for a short while, he couldn't speak much English. But then he came to me and said, I know two words in that song. And I said, let me guess, one of them is Jesus. He said, yes. I said, what's the other one? He said, lamb. I know lamb. You see, people from that part of the world are lamb conscious. Of course, it tastes good, but also in, in many other ways. It was a meal to be eaten for the Israelites. When you're a slave, killing a lamb is a big thing, but also celebrating is even bigger than that. I mean, no party is fun enough if you're a slave. Even if you get invited to the biggest party, it's just not going to be any good because your heart is heavy because you know at the end of the day, you're a slave. At the end of the day, you can't really make decisions on your own. At the end of the day, you're bound by chains. So a party doesn't really mean much. It was a meal to be eaten together. Not only that, there was big symbols around it. It was really important that everything is taken care of properly. And it wasn't just any meal. So we're a lamb so uh, conscious society as well, and our theology is based on Sean the sheep. But anyway, if, if it is, please don't think that lambs are generally clever um, animals, they're, they're not necessarily that. They're defenseless. They, don't, they can't really think for themselves. They can't really defend themselves. And they need a shepherd to look after them. So the only thing, the closest thing I could find to a lamb was this. I pinched it. it was, I found out that it was in my car. Um, so they would get it and they would slay it. But they weren't allowed to break any bones of it. They weren't allowed to boil it. They had to roast it on fire with the blood outside the post. But they also had something else. They had to get unleavened bread. They needed bread, something similar to this. And there's, again, symbolism in that, eating that bread. Firstly, because God had told them to do it quickly. It's not the sort of meal you sit down and chat and eat. The first, time I, uh, the first few times we ate in a restaurant in this country, we were surprised, why aren't they coming to collect the plates? But then we realized that they just leave it there deliberately because you talk over the meal and you speak and you just generally go on about even serious stuff and you talk about it. What we did is realize at the time they had to be really quick because they had to kill the lamb, eat it, and then they were about to go. So God said, no yeast in your bread. But also, the yeast was a symbol of the Egyptian culture, a symbol of what they would take with them from Egypt. And if you carry on reading the story, you will see that they actually took some with them, which meant that it wasn't helpful. So God is saying, stay away from what you've been told. Stay away from your past. Look at it, remember it, but don't bring anything with you from that. This is the bread, a symbol that we are aware of who we were, but we're not that sort of people anymore. This is a symbol of we know the sort of place and darkness that we were living in, but we're not reflecting on it. We're not staying there. And we're not bringing anything from that sort of era with us. And they also had to have some bitter vegetables with it. Now, the bitter vegetable was bitter because slavery was bitter. But I can imagine some people looking at the vegetable and crying. Now, you may think they were crying because 
they were a bit nostalgic, thinking, oh, we were slaves at one point, and these are tears of... No, they were crying because perhaps they didn't like vegetables and they didn't want to eat it. They just wanted to tuck in the lamb. But vegetable was bitter, and it was to remind them of the bitterness of slavery. It was to remind them of who, we, who they were. Slavery is bitter, in fact. And if you think that slavery is finished and there's no slavery anymore, then you need to think twice, really. Even in the modern form of it, it still continues. But also the Bible says that we were all slaves of sin at one point. If you're in Christ, you are free. As we were singing in that song, the chains have been broken, you're not a slave anymore. But if you're not in Christ, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you don't know Jesus the way we were singing about, then you are still there. And you may be offended by this, but this is what the Bible says about those who don't know Jesus yet. Now, you may think that you know Jesus because you heard about him when you were a child, or you may think that you don't want anything to do with Jesus, with this Jesus because you don't need him. Let me tell you, he is the answer to everything in your life, and you do need him. And without him, none of us would be here this morning. So I want to encourage you, if you think that those days are gone, look back. You may still be in that era. You may still be in that darkness. If you don't know him, you are there. And the only way out is through the blood of the lamb that was slain. This lamb that was perfect, you don't need to get a lamb and kill it because it's been done once and for all. And by his blood, we are covered. So if you don't know Jesus today, I want to encourage you to start asking him to come into your life, to start asking him to come and fill your life. As we heard in the Alpha story, and we saw it. The young girl said, everybody's used to say, there's an empty space in my heart. I'm feeling that there's something missing. You may, it may be you. That missing place, that empty space can only be filled with Jesus. Now, this meal wasn't just any meal that people would prepare. This meal was for a particular people, and it was to be eaten in a particular manner. Now, you may think, well, that, that people are not us, that people are us. You are that people, and this meal is for us. In fact, we're going to be doing that, not necessarily with the lamb and b the bitter vegetable or the bread, and trust me, you don't want to be living on that bread or eating it for seven days in a row. It may taste nice the first day, but it won't after seven days, even if you cook it fresh. Unleavened bread, I, mean, you, uh, I wouldn't recommend you living on it for seven days, but we're not going to do it that way, but we're going to do it Jesus' way, the way he told us to do it, the way he commanded us, the way he said, when you come together, do it. We're going to be breaking bread together. The manner of eating for the Israelites was to be eaten quick, in haste. You haven't got much time. Put your belt on with your sandals and with your walking staff next to you. I'm ready to leave as soon as I've eaten. Now, if you see me coming to your homes and eat and leave, that's because God has commanded so with their staff, with their belt, and with their sandals on. So ladies, no high heels, because we're about to go and hit the desert. Get, don't, don't worry about getting anything else. Just get ready, be ready, eat the meal, and leave. It had to be eaten in a particular manner, but also it wasn't for anyone to join in. It was for a particular people. Only those who believed in the God of the Bible. Only those who said, yes, Lord, we want you to deliver us. God says that if anybody else who's left with you wants to partake, they, has to, they have to be circumcised as a sign of the covenant. You couldn't just invite anybody in and say, come and eat with us. 
because it was so important. It was for a particular people, and it was a sign that they belonged to the God of Israel. Now it's the same. If you'd like to take part with us in the communion, if you don't know Jesus, then we'd ask you not to join in with us in that. But it may be that you've just decided that you want to give him your life. It may be that you've just decided and you think he's speaking to your heart and that you want to give him your life and that you want to start a new life with him. He will give you new life. He will do it for you. All you need to do is to take that step. And if you've just decided that, then please, by all means, join in with us. So a meal for a particular people, a people group, but also a meal to be eaten in a special manner. The Jews have a particular song that they sing over the Passover time. And of course, um, around the, uh, this sort of Passover, there's quite a lot of traditions that have formed over the years. Not necessarily from the Bible, but they're not necessarily um, contradicting the Bible either. But they sing a song, it's called Dayenu. It just means it would have been enough. Dayenu. It would have been enough if you'd just given us the Torah. It would have been enough if you'd just got us out of it. Egypt. It would have been enough if you'd only given us the Sabbath. It would have been enough even just if, if you'd just done one thing out of the millions that you'd done for us. That would have been enough. That would have been enough. It just talks about their understanding and our understanding of how gracious God is. It would have been enough for Him to not judge us. But He only not did that. He saved us and delivered us. It would have been enough for Him to just say, okay, I don't want anything to do with you. I'm not going to judge you, but I'm just going to leave you on your own. That would have been enough, wouldn't it? But he said, no, I'm not going to judge you, but you can be included. You can come into the family. It would have been enough for him to do any of it. But God has done more than that. He's given us more than we deserve. So the sign that John's talking about. John's saying that Jesus, the guy who's just fed you, is the perfect Lamb of God. He's the Lamb that every year you and I sit down and slain and remember what God has done for our ancestors. And we remember it like it's happening today. But it's Him. And you know what? We don't need to do that anymore because it's been done. I remember even in the culture I grew up in, within our family, they would do that. To kill a lamb as a sacrifice and the blood would go on the doors, on the post, for the forgiveness of the sins. Praise God, I don't have to do that anymore. Firstly, because there's no abattoir here that, you, you necessarily, that would be licensed uh, generally for these sort of things. You can't do it in your back garden. But also, that God has done this already. God sent His own Son, who was perfect without blemish in every way. And He didn't deserve the sort of death that He received. He didn't deserve the offenses against him. He didn't deserve anything that was done to him. But yet he took on the nails at the cross. Yet he went along with it. He could have been made king at the time as we read in the Bible, but his mission was saving you and I. He didn't come for power of position. He came to serve, as he said. He didn't deserve the death he received, but he went along with it. The perfect Lamb of God. Jesus is our Passover lamb today. He has brought us out of slavery. He's brought us out of the land that we didn't belong to. And he's given us a new home. We live in the now and not yet. This is a taste of heaven that Jesus has given us. 
He's allowed us to be people, a special people, who have the privilege of going before Him and singing songs before Him. Isn't that joyful? He's also the ultimate sacrifice for our salvation. Praise God that we don't need to do this anymore. It would have been great, of course, if we had the ability, because then I would get Jason to put the barbecue out. Sorry if you're a vegetarian, but it's amazing that we don't have to do these rituals anymore. That we can sit down around the table knowing that the Lamb of God is there, present with us through His Spirit. That we can sit around and eat together and break bread knowing that He's done it all for us. Knowing that it's okay if we have bread with yeast or unleavened bread. It's okay because He is there and He is the host. And if you belong to Him today, then His blood has covered you and you belong to Him. And if you're not in Him this morning, if you don't believe in this Jesus, then allow Him to come into your life. Let Him invade your life. Let Him give you a new life. Experience Him. It's not just a funny feeling or a great feeling that will disappear in ten minutes. Experience the presence of God in your life. Allow Him to come and take over. Allow Him to come and deliver you from the darkness you're in. Allow Him to come and befriend you. Let Him come and sit at the table and eat with you. Now if I could ask the band to come up, please. We're going to break bread together. We're going to remember the Passover lamb because Jesus said, when you come together, do this in my remembrance. Now, the wine is probably fruit juice and the closest thing you can find to the wine. And as we break bread, it's the symbol of what he has done, his body that was broken for us. We're going to remember the Lamb of God and he is here and his presence is here amongst us. Now, I want to encourage you to go and get the juice and the bread. And as we continue to sing the next song, get into groups of four and five. But I want to encourage you to get into groups of people that you don't necessarily know. You're all one body. But it may be that we don't necessarily have the time to get to know each other. But I've never seen a time when you can get to know someone better than the time of prayer. Five minutes of praying with someone would allow you that sort of relationship that perhaps five years would not. So if you all stand up together, please. As we start singing the next song, would you please go grab the bread and the juice, get into groups, go to somebody you don't know, say hello to them, pray with them, and remember the great thing that Jesus has done for us. Let's do that now as we start the song. Let's do it together.